it's kind of funny though. I've been in loads of Zoom calls, and because every time I laugh on this podcast, I've trained myself to like you know turn away from the oh, computer and laugh over my shoulder. So every time I'm in a Zoom call, I like spin in my chair and start laughing. Oh so, my like, god! I don't think that anybody has noticed, but I'm like so aware that it's like just. Something that I do now. Oh, I like purposely. I'm like, no, Stevie, lean further in. You've had some quiet weeks, <laughs> <laughs> so this week's just gonna be blown the entire time. <laughs> yeah. This is Brad Barricades, a Lemurs podcast. I am Nima Martin, your host and moderator. I use they/them pronouns. And today I poured a shit ton of citronella oil onto a model lizard that I made because I have been attacked by so many mosquitoes and I hate the world that I live in right now. So I'm, my room is a no mosquito zone. This is Stevie, she, her pronouns, your across the board researcher. And just to make Nemo hate me more, Mosquitoes have no interest in me. I hate you so much. I'm disgusting to them. <laughs> that one mosquito yesterday got me five times, and I'm so annoyed that I, because like I didn't, I saw it on my arm on the fifth one, and was like, oh my god, that's a mosquito. It's what are we, September, and there's a fucking mosquito on my arm. What the hell? And then I started itching all over. And it's got me in all the annoying places. One's in the inner of my elbow, uh, you know, in the, like, crease. Yeah. One's, like, in the, like, gap between my fingers, the webbing in between my fingers. Mm. One of them's, like, on the underside of my wrist, you know, where you, like, put your... When you, when when you, you rest. rest your wrist. <laughs> yeah. When you're, like, typing, which I do all day. And one's on, like, the, the other... On my forearm, like if you imagine that you put your forearm on your table, like where you would rest it, exactly there. And one of them's on like the top of my shoulder. And I hate it so much. I'm I'm imagining that mosquito, like he, they got you and then flew away and they're like, whoa, they're just not noticing. (laughs) Uh, Do I? Yeah. Okay, go on. We try one more time. And then after like the third or fourth time was like, well, fuck. I guess I've got to drain you dry. <laughs> Literally. Speaking I of... No, you go. <laughs> no, no, you go. Do it, do it. That was good. <laughs> Speaking of draining you dry, the Tenardiers. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're in book three, lads. And as we foreshadowed... And we, I guess we have dealt with the Tenardiers before, so is it foreshadowing when you just say it? That they're not very nice. <laughs> um so yeah as we always put our warnings uh right on the forehead of our each episode upload but yeah there's some rough uh child abuse coming up just to really get you in the mood of what's Mm. coming Nemo (laughs) but we start with Victor Hugo chatting about gentrification um fucking hipster cafes that are springing up everywhere in Montreal somewhere. Literally, we're in Montefermay, and he's like, well, I know right now there's all these big houses, and the gentry like to hang out, but right now it's 1823, and the holidaymakers and retired drapers have not yet discovered it. (laughs) And then he's like, you know... But right now it's 1823, so uh, the people who live that peasant life of great bounty and ease at little expense. That was very, like, (laughs) I know that this has been a thing done through all of history, but right now it's very, like, that cottage core, like, oh, that simple (laughs) life, you peasants. (laughs) (laughs) Living with great bounty and ease. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of funny that we've, like, um, internet language appropriates this kind of language to the point where when you see it in its original form, like, (laughs) fucking dirty peasant, and it's like, oh, that's like an internet slang. (laughs) 
We love, well, we something to see it. <laughs> um, yeah, the the only problem, and there's only one, says Victor Hugo, the only <laughs> one is that water is scarce um, and you mm. have to go fetch it, which is from a little spring, which is like a quarter of an hour from the village. But I mention this for no reason. I'm Victor Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, usually you'd pay, especially if you're from one of the large houses or the aristocracy, which included Tenardier, uh, apparently, uh, you would pay someone to go fetch that water, but that guy's not going to go late in the evening um, because it's late and it's cold and it's dark. So if you need water after that time, deal with it yourself. And this was the terror of the poor creature that the reader may have forgotten. No, may not have forgotten. <laughs> but it has been a while, so maybe you have forgotten little Cosette, who was useful to the Tenardiers in two ways, that they got money from the mother and that she could wait on them. And because Fontaine had not been able to send the money for quite a while, they've been treating her as a servant. Um, so when if they needed water in the evenings, they would send her, um, and she, which she was quite terrified of. So we'd always try and make sure that there was never a lack of water in the house. The scene, Christmas, the year, 1823. <laughs> it's particularly jolly this year. <laughs> oh God, I just, <laughs> right, just remembered the like, ooh, Santa from the 2012 <laughs> film. Like literally any time someone says like, particularly jolly time at Christmas, my brain just like, adds in the like ooh Santa I hate it. <laughs> yeah I was like I read that line remembered the Santa vaguely in the movie more just how much you remember the Santa in the movie <laughs> um and was like yeah wow I guess this is a Christmas film question mark <laughs> yeah it's so jolly this year uh there's like a little Christmas fair is out which means that there's more people in the town than usual including several men and whenever there's like vagaries towards like there were some men, you're like, is it our man? <laughs> there's only one man that it could be. <laughs> several? Is it just him several times? <laughs> <laughs> is one of them tall? Because if it's a tall man, then it's Javert. Is Javert tall? It's like the only descriptor that he that is used constantly. It's like there was a tall man in the shadows. That's how you know it's Javert. Oh. I had already, I only think of him as dog faced. <laughs> I only yeah, remember it's, those it's, descriptors. It's kind of funny how in fandom people were like at first they were like, Yeah, Javert tall and then they went, but Jean Valjean big and Javert small and I think it's becoming the other way around again now where people have had their fill of Jean Valjean big bear and have made him this like small, very compact Boy, mm. we see these trends come and go, and this podcast has been going for so many years. We'll see the all of the trends will pass us. <laughs> yeah, Jean Valjean's got a—he's at peak smallness, I think, right now. So he's got to like start getting big again. <laughs> I love that as a thing, and that I've seen it in other fandoms. Well, none of these men are specified by height. But there are four or five candles on that table. And it's one of those things. There's a lot in this chapter where you're like, what? Like, there's just all these little details that almost made me feel like a murder mystery was being set up and I needed to keep track of all the clues. Because it's like, there's four or five candles. Um, there's bottles. There's a... Uh, Two objects on the table that were fashionable among the bourgeoisie <laughs> class. A kaleidoscope and a moir metallique lamp. But I was like, they, and they're all going to come into play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, um, it was man number three with the lamp in the ballroom. <laughs> but there's like a lot, there's like a lot of that this chapter in that very specific, like, am I, I'm watching Knives Out. Okay. Where's the lamp? 
Wasn't there that he said several men before, but now he's saying a couple of men, so one's out of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> does that mean that he's gone to get a weapon, or does it mean he's got an alibi? <laughs> <laughs> and like, he's getting into all the conversations that are going on around, like, you know, if you're listening in, over on this side of the room, a conversation that I will just kindly summarize as being about wine is happening, <laughs> which he then ends with, etc. And then, but if you look on the other side of the room, I will also kindly, instead of reading you the whole couple paragraphs, some chat about milling, mm. etc. says Victor Hugo. <laughs> so he's like, here is a lot of it, but etc. So you know there's more. So you're like, did I need that first bit? <laughs> but maybe I do for this murder mystery that he's setting up and all of the details are important about how that we don't have time to pick all the seeds out of this type of, of, of flower that we have. <laughs> Can you imagine if Victor Hugo actually hid a full-length like murder mystery plot within this novel? <laughs> and Jade is going to be the one to solve it. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was thinking of her while reading through it because it, that is how it made me feel. Because I was like, these, these can't just be here very oddly for no reason. Victor <laughs> <laughs> Hugo would never do that to me, <laughs> and he's never done it to me before. A day in his life. <laughs> um, so yeah, all these conversations are going on. There's a, there's another etc. The Jew. They're talking about the dew, etc. While this is all going on, Cosette is in her usual place, seated by the chimney, um, in her rags, with her bare feet in wooden clogs, knitting stockings for the Thenardier girls, whose we can hear laughing and chattering. So there's like that little scene, and then in the chimney corner, a leather strap hung from a nail, which is mm. Victor Hugo being effective. <laughs> yeah <laughs> glad that got you so good I guess like maybe that's why there's the faff beforehand because it is this very like stark lonely line that you're like oh shit <laughs> yeah dark um and that so you can also hear the crying of another of the Thenardier children, who's a little boy, but um, that sh the mother had nursed him but did not love him. Uh, is basically ignores his crying and can't be bothered with him, she says. And he'll just be left there crying. End mm. of chapter. And you're like, oh, nice. <laughs> which if I, I guess if there's anyone listening who hasn't seen the movie, which was me at one point, even mm -hmm. what, having watched the movie, I didn't know that that was Gavroche until, like, I was told. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yes, later on it does get mentioned, like, in, like, 500 pages <laughs> when Gavroche comes back as a child, like a not-baby. Mm. It does glancingly be like, remember that one baby in a cot 500 years ago? <laughs> the reader may not remember the child <laughs> in the cot. <laughs> But then it's so frustrating with things like that, which is like, you know, you might not remember if you don't have a film to reference. Um, he's so, like, coy about it that you might have actually forgotten. And, like, he doesn't he doesn't do the, like, you know, two pages ago we said this thing, but you might have already forgotten. Mm. Um, Hugo. Hugo. <laughs> My first note at the top of chapter two, two finished portraits... His lol Hugo what? Um, <laughs> I guess we ju we finished the last chapter on some sad foreshadowing, seed planting for a payoff that won't come for 500 pages or whatever, <laughs> 500 chapters, whatever the case may be. And he's now cleaning up some seed... Uh, there's no metaphor here. We're now finishing some portraits that Victor Hugo also began like 500 pages ago. So this is, I guess this is just how he do. Because we've only thus far seen the Tenardiers in profile. The time has come to circle around this couple and consider them from every angle. And the line that I was like, what the fuck? Uh, Tenardier had just turned 50 
Madame Tionardier was closer to 40, which is 50 for women, so husband and wife were of equal age. <laughs> the fuck? You go, fuck off. It was just so good. You just read it and you just have to like pause and be like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you smooth talker. I see why you had so many mistresses, Victor Hugo. Like... <laughs> It, it, you know what? This chapter, it finally makes sense. You just know how to talk to women. <laughs> there is, like, so this chapter's gonna get into both of the Tenardiers, and obviously they, so they are both awful people. It's just also, the, the misogyny in this chapter is actually hilarious. <laughs> I actually had a... Yeah, I was um, writing about Madame Thénardier uh, for my PhD the other week, and I, I did have that like that really weird conflict in me as I was writing because I was like I was basically saying how like yeah Victor Hugo huge misogynist a lot of the stuff that's a, like has happened and is going to happen in this chapter like she's just described so badly. And then the other part of me is like, and she's also a terrible woman, so it's not like... But it... Ah, yeah. I, uh, when I was writing it, I was just having this, like, um, I want to protect her because... Well, not protect her, but just be like, um, you know, you can't treat women like this. This is, like, really gross. And then being like... And also the character is gross. Yeah. Both things can be true at the same yeah. time. Women can be this awful. Victor Hugo... You wrote her to be like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. hard. Because, yeah, she she is categorically awful. He has, what, like, three women he gets into detail about. Thus far, we've only had one other woman, really. And yeah, this is the like what, four women in the fucking book, yeah. And this is the one you really went, like, you really <laughs> went up. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's get into that. Um... Mm. She is tall, blonde, which I didn't remember her being blonde, but that gives you even more of the, like, dichotomy between her and Fontaine. That's true. I think she was, yeah, she was either brunette or redheaded before. Because I remember when we first met her a hundred years ago, and I was still ginger, us being like, ah ha ha, Stevie, and I was like, ah ha ha ha, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Madame Tenardier was... Or Tenardier <laughs> was a red-headed, was a redhead, fleshy yet bony. The soldier's wife and all its glassiness. Page one two seven. You yeah. fucking idiot, Victor Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> I think he retroactively was like, "Oh, if I make her blonde, oh, the comparisons they'll make." Or she's just gone to bleach London, you know. <laughs> oh my god! Don't pet that I'm bleach London. <laughs> She's got her hair did, you know, since got the last time. Did. It's been a while. She's had Fontaine's money. Um, That's true. She took her money and her look. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Oh, interesting. Ooh. That could be an interesting read. That she took her... That she bought the hair? No, wait, but Fontaine's actually... Is Fontaine... No, I'm like having this moment where I'm like, but no, in the movie she was brunette. But no, she it, she was goddamn blonde in the book, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. now having... And Cosette has brown hair. Okay. But in the movie and the... Yeah, in the musical and the films, they swap it because I don't know. Okay. So, she didn't... S- no, 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 I was right. She did. She could have bought the wig formerly known as Fontaine's hair. Yeah, that would be wild. Oh, there's also... Yeah, I also like the idea... That's a really cool idea that she, like, appropriates in taking in taking Cosette. She takes over the like mother duties of Fontaine, and then slowly becomes her, but could but can never be Fontaine herself mm. because Hugo's a misogynist and <laughs> Thénardier is a big ugly woman. Oh um, it's just true. She is greasy. She is ruddy. She is brawny. She's robust. She's huge. But she's agile. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. She's akin oh, cool. to a race of feral giant women. But yeah, that you're like, say more. And then he says more and you're like, oh no, okay. Aesthetically, yes. Everything else, no. 
I remember when, yeah, yeah, I remember when we first, like, started talking about Madame Thénardier and we were like, if a female writer had described this character or if we were playing Dungeons and Dragons, we would all be like, hmm? We're all in love with her. Yeah. But <laughs> Tell me more about this big lady. <laughs> but we can't judge a book by its gigantic cover because, yeah, she's the worst. Um, <laughs> she also, so she does everything in the house. Her only help is Cosette, a mouse in the service of an elephant. She's just like really big and strong, but that's not meant to be appealing. She can crack a walnut with her fist. Like, I know. Um, yeah, and I was like, oh, she had something of a beard, and I was just like, snapped my fingers like I'm at a poetry night, like, yeah, same. <laughs> um, that it would never occur to anyone to say of her, that's a woman. You know, if it wasn't for the romance books that he mentioned some time ago that she likes to read. And it was like, um, cause the mincing maid beneath the ogress to make a bizarre reappearance. <laughs> Like, let her have her romance books. Jesus, the power of Twilight. Oh my god. But yeah, uh, if you saw the way she treated Cosette, you would say, that's a vicious brute. And she has a tooth stuck out of her mouth. Apparently, that's the last thing he adds. And I was just like, you know, when it, I'm pretty sure, like, we've definitely talked about it before. That whole thing that was big for a while of, like, the was it the physiology? of physiognomy yeah well like the way that your body is can tell someone everything about you like you are a criminal because your skull is like this um Mm. but then also that mix of like you know this character's bad because they're ugly yeah (laughs) we've got it all it it it's kind of two thoughts that came through my head. One, when you said, like, she had one tooth, it reminds me of the Gruffalo, when all of the animals in the forest, like, slowly build this idea of, like, this the Gruffalo that lives in the forest, and the little mouse just gets, like, so terrified of this beast, because, like, everyone's like, oh, it's huge, and it's got warts, and it's got a snaggled tooth and stuff, and they, yeah, build this idea of this person. And... When you're like, Hugo ends it by being like, and she's got a huge tooth sticking out. It's like, all right, Gruffalo. Like, he's like <laughs> describing the Gruffalo. Mm. And then the second thought I had was something that I found, uh, I'm like trying to, maybe you can <laughs> give me an answer. Um, but when I was writing this last essay that I've been writing, yeah, Hugo really does go in for the like criminal physiognomy thing where he's like, oh, yeah, like with the Tenardier, it's being like, she's really big and ugly, which means she's evil. And um, obviously with Fontaine, he's like, oh, but you could look at her and see she was an angel and she's so beautiful, which means that even though she did the bad thing, she's still like good. Mm. But then at the same time, he is arguing through this novel. And we saw it in the last chapters that we did uh, with the Orion the boat last time, mm. um, and galley slavery, that he is anti-abolish, uh, he's pro-abolishing every slave trade, including uh, the enslavement of black people, and the galley slave. And like the entirety of Les Mis is trying to prove to an audience that being a criminal isn't inherent, isn't an inherent trait, yeah. which is what criminal anthropology was trying to say, right? Like, you can look at a person and tell that they're a criminal, um, which is why Jean Valjean suffers so much in the novel, because, like, when, when the town finds out, when Montreal Sommer, uh finds out that Monsieur Le Maire was actually a galley slave, they're immediately like, oh, yeah, he's a galley slave, so that means that nothing that he did in the town before was good. Mm. Like, criminals are inherently evil. So how how Hugo can do both, like, so annoyingly do both, yeah. be like, these traits are, like, inherently evil because this woman is big and she's got a beard and that means that she's a child abuser. But also, Jean Valjean, like, he may be a criminal, but not all criminals are bad. <laughs> yeah, he's not got... Well, does... Well, I've got so much book to go. Does he have any attractive villains 
Um, there is one, um, Montparnasse, he's a, a, a dandy. Okay. Um, and he's like proper pretty boy. A lot of people ship him with some of the Ami because obviously. Um, <laughs> and Jean Valjean, but I guess there again, like Jean Valjean does try and save uh, Montparnasse from criminality. Like he catches him, well, he doesn't catch. Wampanas tries to pickpocket him, and Jean Valjean's like, yeah, sure, take my wallet, but take it from this old criminal. You may be young and pretty, and you may be using this money to be young and pretty, but to be a criminal is to mean that you will be caught, and one day you'll be young and pretty, and then you'll be coming out of jail, and you'll be an old man like me, mm. so be warned. <laughs> and then Wampanas is like, he like sits and thinks for like 30 minutes, and then he's like, Nah, fuck that. I'm gonna be young, pretty, and hot, <laughs> and a criminal. So like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so is, I guess even then Hugo is kind of warning Montparnasse, like, you are going to be ugly. Yeah. Uh, okay. And he doesn't heed it, but yeah. Victor Hugo have his cake, eat it too? Question mark. <laughs> we'll yeah. answer all this and more. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, because, like, on the one hand, so then we get into Mr. Tenardier, and he's like, there is mm. something magnetic and charismatic about this disgusting weasel. Because <laughs> it's, again, <laughs> that he's like, he's like, you know, he's thin and pale and angular and bony. He's puny. He looks poorly. Um, but something about that guy. <laughs> um that yeah so he is so cunning that despite these things you know like he's all, always smiling um is always polite but has the eyes of a ferret and the appearance of a man of letters that that so this is such a thing with Mr. Tenardier that you're like you I feel like you just like he's a bad man so it's as always with Victor Hugo where you're like yeah we should hate this man and yeah Victor Hugo you really hate this guy but, you know, for, like, mostly, what he mostly seems to hate him for is how he pretends or comes across as a smart boy, as literate. <laughs> like, I really feel that that's Hugo's biggest beef. Because there's, like, he has pretensions in the way of literature and materialism. He'll name drop, like, Voltaire and Prani and St. Augustine. And, ooh, he's a, a, a crook philosopher, a philosophy, which... Asterix to the bottom of the page, uh, says my book, is a Victor Hugo hybrid word, which is oh <laughs> for philosophy, philosopher, and philu, swindler. So Victor Hugo is like, tee hee hee, my wordplay. Um, but yeah, it's at several points that he's like, he is self-taught Mr. Tenardier, and mm. Hugo really hates that about him. It's so, it's so like... We've definitely talked about this before, but like it's so Victor Hugo being like, oh yeah, no, definitely I love poor people. They definitely shouldn't be suffering, but like they also shouldn't be putting on airs mm. and they should know their place. So like... <laughs> yeah. But, but like, he did nothing to discourage the belief that he was a man of learning. How dare he, the bastard? Um, he took some liberties in his use of language, which is that he makes, sometimes, he'll pronounce something wrong. So a word that he will have read, but the fucking idiot doesn't even know how to pronounce it right. And he makes spelling errors sometimes. And these are the marks oh of God. someone with intellectual pretensions. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I guess something possibly one answer to the question I was asking is that at least Jean Valjean Hugo says knows his place and mm. like knows that he isn't like he doesn't aspire for greatness he just takes it on in order to like help the people around him mm, trips um, and falls into it exactly he like but, and and when you know um, he he doesn't want to be the mayor, but he's like you know convinced to do it by the people around him, and 
he learns to read because of like different things but then he like teaches himself but he never he's he's not um he uh Bajon isn't like um Tenardier and he isn't like the uh, the politicians that the bishop hated as well like he's not like spewing knowledge that he pretends to believe is his mm. again in the Hugo shitty way of yeah. like poor people can't understand or poor people don't have a um claim to these things um because even later like right at the end when marius is like when he thinks that jean valjean has killed javert and like is like oh i need to keep cosette away from this like horrible man he's a convict and blah blah blah. just before he finds out that jean valjean is a convict and he's like looking at this gentleman and marius is like he speaks like one of us but sometimes I can tell <laughs> that he's not really one of us. There's something about the way that he speaks that isn't proper enough. Oh my it's like, god. Hugo, like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Why does this, like, 16-year-old boy, just because he's been brought up as a bourgeoisie, know implicitly that Jean Valjean, who's lived as, you know... A gentleman for 20 years uh, doesn't have the perfect gentleman accent or whatever. Yeah. He's been living the, that role for longer than you've been alive. You <laughs> young <Literally>. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking whippersnapper. <laughs> yeah, Victor Hugo's just like, where do you get off? So, besides, so that I will very confidently say is Victor Hugo's biggest problem with Tenardier. At this point, anyway, at this chapter, I can't speak for the rest. I can only speak for yeah. where I'm up to, where I've read up to. But yeah, I argue that. He's besides that, that he, uh, you know, he's just a crook. Um, he greatly resembled portraits of Abbe Delille, which I did look up. And okay, great. Who that was? He's a French. He was a French poet. And um, he did a translation of Virgil. And I looked up the portrait and I was like, okay, Victor Hugo. I guess he was careful to to say he resembles a portrait because there is a very bad portrait of this man. That he's, Victor Hugo's not saying that this man exactly looks like Tenardier. Just as one portrait. But I will have to look into this man more to be like, Victor Hugo, why would you invoke this real person like this? That's very interesting. What what was his name? How do you spell it? Um, so it's Abbe Delisle. I th- I think it's just a bad portrait because some of them don't look like this. Wait, the black and white oh ones. Oh my god! <laughs> the black and white ones even more intense. So Hugo's like, wow. The, he looks like this portrait. Just the portrait. He doesn't look like him, he looks like the portrait. <laughs> but So like in this portrait, it's a man who's got a very oval head. Like <laughs> really oval. And his features he looks like a cartoon fish. <laughs> He's the link between man and shark tails. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> He's the animorph between a shark tail's fish and an actual human. But, like, just this portrait, because I Google imaged it, and the other portraits of him are not this unflattering. So I feel wow, like... Wow, there there's one that's, like, he's super hench. He looks like Gaston in this one. <laughs> so, like, I really... I'm assuming Victor Hugo means this one particular portrait that I've been sending to Nemo. Because, yeah, yeah, and these other ones, you're like, that's just the, like, could-be-handsome man, even. But based on the rest of Hugo's descriptions, I'm assuming it's this one portrait. Yeah, that's... Wait, so when did he... So... <laughs> Was this guy alive at the same time? No, he died... Okay. He died a long time before. I mean, but still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, like, a long... Like, he died in 1813... So technically 10 years before this part is set and, what is it, 1863? So Mm. 50 years previously. So his relatives would still be alive. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So that's a thing. And I I think I feel like this may be the first time that Victor Hugo's been like, he looks like this other person. 
about a character. <laughs> like, I don't remember any other time because I feel like we would have all gone and looked up. Because so, I immediately yeah. was like, who? Um, he did a face claim. Yeah. <laughs> so I will not see this man cast as anyone else. Um, <laughs> Mr. Tenarier. Um Yeah. He's a smoker. He has the eyes of a ferret. He's a crook. He, Victor Hugo reminds us, as he only just told us, about at Waterloo, how he saved some sergeant, but he was very liberal in the retelling. As we know, he has uh, greatly exaggerated the daring do of the act. He did not shield the body from gunfire, as he tells people all the time. He is all about stealing from others, selling to some. As Hugo had said in those Waterloo chapters, you know, one of those people following behind armies, kind of looting whatever they can get their hands on, with an instinct for always attaching themselves to the victorious army. And that's kind of how he had gotten enough money to now own this inn. But now money is bad, and Tenardier owes a lot of money. He's a fine talker. Some more about how he's idle and crafty and greedy and cunning and not above pretending that he's such a smart boy. Um, <laughs> and then this read did make me laugh uh, about that, like, he's a philanderer uh, and, you know, will get with the servants. And that's why Mrs. Tenardier doesn't ha- keep any servants around anymore. The giantess was jealous. She thought this thin, sallow little man must be the object of universal desire. Oh my god. And it is that thing. It just felt like Hugo being like, Han, this man's not all that. <laughs> Ladies, you need to like just dump him. <laughs> but you- Oh my god. Okay, wait. Oh no, but she is bad i i kind of wanted to suggest a like um a spin-off you know how there's like um loads of like there have been quite a few novelizations of like au's yeah um but they're all kind of like about the youngins like eponine and mm. uh Andrea, so, like they're all about the like young attractive hot kids being like gay and cool in space um but like where's the uh, Madame Tenardier gets a girlfriend and like fucks up. <laughs> Madame Tenardier ex Fontaine. Is there a fic? Let's see. <laughs> I feel like that would be wild if one existed. And it's like an AU where uh, uh, Madame Tenardier isn't a child abuser. Mm. Um, you know, we can excuse all of the other shit that happens in this novel and forget <laughs> that it happens. So let's get a retribution. Uh, what's it called? A uh, fuck the thing that Zuko has. It is with an arc. Redemption arc! <laughs> Redemption arc, there we go. Uh, ten People arc. forgive Javert for all kinds of things. Exactly. <laughs> We're not forgiving anyone's actions. Tenardier Fontaine. Come on, is it? Wow, you'll be surprised to learn that there are none. <laughs> <laughs> not that surprised to find. Uh... <laughs> Um, but I expect to have at least three on my desk. Uh. <laughs> yeah, leave that sallow little man. Um, <laughs> Tenardier was a restrained sort of villain, the worst type, because he's full of hypocrisy. So he's not as angry as his wife, as Hugo describes her often as like, she's just full of rage. His anger is very rare, but he does have a grudge against like basically the everyone and is one of those people that always feels like oh the world has done me dirty everyone's wronged me that that kind of thing um he can be keen and discerning and silent or talkative as appropriate so he's he is like one of those chameleon types that when people first come into the inn they think oh madame tenardier must be the master of the house hold <laughs> Wrong! She was not even the mistress. It was the husband who was both master and mistress. That So, I, they're the villains. But for your thing where you're talking about gender, we've now yeah. had Mi- Madame Tenardier described as like, you wouldn't even think she was a woman. Here are all these stereotypically masculine traits. 
but she is a woman because she likes this one romance novel and what mm. else could that mean and then you've got Mr. Tenardier is both the master and the mistress is this anything mm. for you yeah yeah I, I had I have been cataloging every time a character is called both a man and a woman it happens to Mrs. and Mr. Tenardier it happens to Jean Valjean it happens to Eponine and it happens to fuck who is the last person it happens to Javert oh my god there's one point later where Madame Tenardier is fighting Javert and he's like I will fight a woman or something because I have the claws of a woman and I was like oh interesting (laughs) (laughs) Javert's got like acrylics oh my god (laughs) yes he was Wolverine you were miscast this whole time <laughs> but yeah it's interesting and I I haven't written the essay yet mm-hmm. but it is going to be an essay that I do write and whether it's like because basically at this point in time in uh, France the sort of like population level was like very bad Mm -hmm. and so the worst things that you could be at this time are gay because you're not producing heirs or basically anyone who wasn't giving children to the country um yeah and like raising them which is kind of why like the Tenardiers treating Gavroche and the two other kids they abandoned and also Eponine and Azoma as badly is also uh an anti-French attack mm. like you, how could they be so unnationalistic to be not raising these children properly when we have a shortage of children um, but maybe maybe it'll be something like that in this essay that I will write where they are not performing their genders properly which is why France is failing Mm. I'd recommend reading a book called Taboo by my supervisor, Hannah Thompson, (laughs) um, because she talks about this, uh, she talks about a similar thing happening in the late 19th century, so like 20 years, 30 years after Les Mis was written, but uh, the Franco-Prussian War Mm -hmm. has just happened, or is happening, and uh, it's the same thing is happening again, where like, um, yeah, the literature the sort of like um, propaganda message that happens in literature is like yeah the you the the deviance away from heteronormativity isn't just a kind of like bias against gay people because of a uh, hatred towards gay people but uh like rooted in it's still homophobia and you know queer phobia but rooted in the like you're not providing for the country kind of like nationalism yeah um yeah i remember that actually came up when uh ages ago i did a special on i can't can't remember now if it was combined special on women and uh on sex workers at the time Mm. i think they sort of i think there was a lot of crossover so it was probably one episode but that it vaguely touched on that that yeah that that whole thing that the bit one of the large reasons Exactly as you said. Um, <laughs> but here, th- there is another source. Go listen back to that episode. There's, if you if you are interested in that this topic, uh, there's various sources on it. That it was so deviant um, to be a homosexual because you're wasting your seed with other men, and we need children. <laughs> just one little final uh, Victor Hugo. Just fucking Victor Hugo and women. Am I right? Um, but he was like, one thing that Mrs. Tenardier would never do, contradict her husband in public. She had never committed in front of strangers, as women so often do, that offence. And I'm just like, okay. He sounds like a fucking incel. Like, (laughs) oh, I, like, women, fuck women, they don't. I, like, I can't even mimic an insult. I don't even know, like, the fucked up way of thinking. But it's such a, like, who hurt you, Victor Hugo? Like, what argument yeah. did you have with your wife, I guess? While writing this, this chapter. 
Yeah. Yeah, because he's like, he'll literally be here like, child abuse, here it is, she does that. He does that. They're both awful. Da 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 da. However, she <laughs> will not do that most heinous of crimes, which all women do, which is contradict her man in front of other people. And Mr. Tenardier, he may be less likely to be angry at Cosette with physicality, but you know, like, he he's the one who makes sure she's not wearing shoes and like the more psychological side of it and he's so crafty, blah blah blah. But he pretends to be a learned <laughs> man, and for that I can't forgive him. <laughs> Ah, Victor Hugo. Mm. And, yeah, Cosette is trapped between the two of them, crushed in a mill and pulled to pieces with pincers. She's beaten black and blue. This was the woman's doing. She went barefoot in the winter. This was the man's. So he does manage to pull this back around into Cosette when he can stop talking about how much he hates Tenardier's learnedness for one second in this oh in this God. chapter. Um, yeah, it... it he does, when Hugo's on his A-game, when he can, like, stop for one minute, he can be effective. That, yeah, he describes her, like, caught in a spider's web, uh, trembling with fear, but that she's, it's like a spider in servitude. No, it's a fly in servitude to a spider. Um, so she's not even caught to be eaten, like, how can they use her first? But that she's unprotesting of this treatment because what? how could she possibly say anything? She's eight. Then we get a little philosophical at the end. Uh, when they find themselves in such a situation from the very start, so weak and so defenceless among mankind, what goes on inside those souls who have only just left God? Which felt very poignant to read out, but actually I'm looking at it and I don't fully understand. <laughs> <laughs> Be oh, because she's so young, she's only her soul has only just left God. That could be that could be right, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to think about it, and I'm like, it's just words. Yeah, because yeah, it's one of those, you know you skim it and you're like, yeah, that makes sense, and then you reread it properly and you're like, wait, <laughs> well, yeah. that's our full portrait of the Tenardiers. I hate them so much, and I hate Victor Hugo so much. Mm. It's like, it would be, obviously it's not hard to hate them because they're awful and in many ways and like the child abuse is very clear in the book. It would mm. make it, and on the one, it's as always with Victor Hugo, you know, when you're like, well, on the one hand, um, on the one hand, you're like, okay, well, I guess this is a rounded portrait of people and people can be awful, but also, you know, be multifaceted. But then you're also like, Victor Hugo, it would be easier to hate them. Like, not that it's not easy to hate them, but, you know, like, if he if he didn't focus so much on things, he, the things that he really takes the most beef with are things that maybe shouldn't be where the beef lays. And that mm. is maybe where us being like, oh, weird mixed feelings, like, obviously we dislike them and they're bad, but, like, Victor Hugo, what are you doing? Does that <laughs> did that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it did make sense. Yeah, because yeah, they're like it. It's unforgivable them mm. that you're like. I guess he does end the chapter with the child abuse, but I he just focuses so much more on Tenardier acting learned. It's so it yeah. It's it's just so like oh, I support poor people so much I'm like such an ally but not those poor people <laughs> yeah and that's where the weird feelings come in yeah because he yeah. he made these characters at the end of the day yeah exactly so those are our mix strange and bad feelings about the portraits mm. of the Tenadios mm. this week and last week on Bread and Barricades, you've been enjoying a translation by... <laughs> <laughs> by Christine Donahue or Donaher. And if anyone of our listeners can confirm 
the pronunciation of her name. Please do. Yeah, we're on to our new translator. I think... Courtesy of all of the Kofi uh, donations that we got. Thank you, Kofis. Um, But if you also want to help us um, uh, support this podcast, you can also donate on our Kofi. It's ko-fi.com forward slash lamers podcast, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast. Libraries still aren't open, so we can't send Stevie to the library, but... We can do things like hosting fees and uh, helping us out here and there. More um, copies of the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're hoarding. We've got four copies between us now. Yeah. Um, I'm just using one as a laptop stand. That's where I'm already at. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fill my house with every Hugo. Wait, now I have six. I have six what? by myself. So we have eight. Jesus. <laughs> Well, I'm enjoying this one so far. <laughs> um, because I have uh, two translations into Japanese. Ooh. And yeah, a couple others. So yeah, um, help us buy more books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can get that frantic page turning sound. Mm. Um, Excellent. Good foley work. <laughs> uh, this was a podcast produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles about this episode or about our podcast, you can send us an email, lamespodcast at gmail.com, L-E-S-M-A-S podcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter, lamespodcast, or on Tumblr, at Bread and Barricades. Our audio director is Jade, who you can find on her website, jadewasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jadewasabi.bandcamp.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Sorry for being so slow. Nemo will make okay. this sound snappier in post. <laughs> now I'm just going to include this like 30 seconds of silence. <laughs>